Okay, thank you. Cat's out of the bag. Yesterday I turned 40. Feeling it today. Tired already. Hurting everywhere. It's going to be rough. No, I'm just kidding. Things are good. But I don't know if this happens for you. Is a milestone. In my mind, these milestones come. And they are moments where I just start thinking about my life. And just naturally, where am I at in life? How are things going? Who do I want to be for the next, say, decade as I roll into a new one? And so today, uh, maybe I'm talking to myself. We're going to talk about what it looks like to measure your life and to measure specifically today's success in your life. And uh, again, maybe I'm speaking to myself. Uh, happy for you to listen in. And if there's something there for you, that would be amazing. Um, Arthur Brooks is a social scientist and uh, wrote, a book, wrote a number of books, but one of them called Strength to Strength. And he tells this story about how after he had written a specific article about success and, and different ways of measuring it. There was someone who reached out to him. This lady reached out to him. And by many measures, she was very successful. She had made lots of money on Wall Street. She had a big fancy title. She had uh, the respect of a lot of her co-workers. Um, all these kind of things that a lot of us really aspire to. And yet she, she called out and she said to him, uh, I'm absolutely miserable. And he said, well, tell me about that. Why? It seems like you've got it all. You've got money and you've got power. You've got influence. Uh, you've got the titles to go with it. What's going on? And she said, yeah, all that is true. Uh, but my marriage isn't very good. And my relationship with my kids is strained. I work way too much, I drink a little bit too much, and I'm absolutely miserable. And so Brooks said back to her, I mean, obviously a capable person, somebody who, who you know, very good at what she does, could improve herself in many ways. He said, well, why don't you work on those things? You know what your issues are. Why don't you work on your marriage, work on your family relationships? Why don't you, you dig into those things, figure out how to fix them, and, and go ahead and fix them? And he was uh, just breathtaking by her response when she thought about it for a while and said, Maybe it's because I would prefer to be special rather than happy. That is a remarkable statement. Perhaps it's because I want to be, I would prefer to be special rather than happy. Or I might even say, I wonder how many of us, and we probably wouldn't say it out loud, but how many of us would prefer to be special rather than loved? In other words, we want a life where people applaud us, respect us, where we have titles and power and money, and people look at us and go, wow, they're doing really well. Wow, look at all the things that they've accomplished. To be impressive instead of actually being close to people. In Brooke's words, she had objectified herself. She had made her life about creating an image. Something that people would look at and be impressed by. And instead of being herself, she had created an object that people uh, could look at and think was, was really significant. Wow, wonderful. What has she done? It's not new, that phenomenon, although I think a whole lot of us below the surface would identify with something like that. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, St. Augustine, early Christian thinker and author, uh, he wrote this about himself and about what kind of drove him and, and, and his life. He said, I panted after honors, boiling with the feverishness of consuming thoughts. In other words, I just, I wanted more and more. I wanted people to honor me and love me and look up to me and respect me. And that's, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then not too much longer in the same work, he says, um, he talks about seeing a beggar on the street one day and secretly admiring him and saying to himself, he was joyous, I anxious. He voiced a fear. Amazing. This, this, you know, great thinker that everybody looked up to and everybody respected. And then he had built this whole thing for his life. And he was so consumed with, with that kind of life and that kind of success. And then he sees a beggar and he envied him. Thinking, here I am with all of this, but I'm anxious, he's joyous. 
I've got all these fears, and he's void of care. Begs the question for us that I want to talk about today, what would it look like for you to be successful? How would you measure having a successful life? Who do you need to be to one day look around and to look back a little bit and say, ah, that was success? I want to talk about how Jesus measured success and uh, read a passage of scripture today that's very counterintuitive, that actually is very hard for us uh, to come to grips with. And before I do, I want to talk about a little bit of a key, interpretive key, and how to read through this. So we're going to read through it, and some of it is, it should stop you to say, oh, that, that is the opposite of what I was thinking. But here's the interpretive key. Jesus often told those who were in a high position to come down, and those in a low position to come up. And in his culture, and probably in our culture too, that was a massive thing. That was completely turning the tables. Those who think they have it all, he was always telling them, you need to come down, you need to humble yourself. And those who had nothing, those who were on the bottom, those who were not respected, those who were outcasts, he was always saying, come up. Apparently, Jesus' measure of life is far different than most of our ways of measuring our lives. And these are hard lessons to learn. In fact, a lot of uh, the the great spiritual masters that have gone before us have talked about some of the wisdom that's in teaching like this and said it's very, very difficult for young people to understand these things or to accept them. That if you're young, if you're just starting out, these things sound like utter nonsense. When you're in a place where all you've been told is to build a life, build, 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 climb the ladder, all that is, you know, many of you, even this morning, you might walk away and say, ah, I don't really get it. That doesn't make sense in my life. Some have said the older you get, the more likely are an experience maybe to understand that some of the ways of thinking, then you were younger, you start to mature, you think of things differently. But not everybody grows up in that sense. Not everybody gets it. Uh, some of us, it takes a lifetime. Some of us, we never get it. Other people, they do learn it early on. And usually uh, what we read is that the people that really get this early in life are often people who have gone through hardship, suffering, and pain and have been taught something through their experience that other people uh, perhaps haven't. And so for us today to come to this teaching... And uh, my prayer is that we would simply open up our hearts and our minds to receive what Jesus would teach and to consider what it might mean for our lives and how we measure success. This comes from Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in verse 20. It says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are poor, and the word here for poor refers to a class of people. Uh, Some people have broken down the class system in this culture to say maybe there was nine classes. This is the word you would use for the lowest, maybe the eighth or ninth class of people. The people that others thought were expendable, that didn't mean much. The word in Greek literally means to be bent over or crouched over. It refers to people who are begging, people who have nothing, people who are completely poor. And Jesus says, for those of you who are on the complete bottom rung of the social ladder, you are the ones who are blessed. In fact, the kingdom of God is yours. That's an amazing statement. Do you know who gets kingdoms? Rich, powerful, mighty, people who are usually born into royalty. Kings who win wars. Usually is how you make sure you get a kingdom or grow a kingdom. But who gets God's kingdom? Where is God at work? 
Where do we see the rule and the reign? If God was in charge and everything was becoming as if uh, God was in charge and, and everything was going the way it would and, and everything was ordered the way that God would have it ordered, whose kingdom is that? And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. That's your kingdom. Nobody would ever tell you you have a kingdom, that you have a reign, a rule, a, a spot, anywhere near the top of anything. But the kingdom of God is moving amongst the poor. The will of God is moving amongst the ones that ever Everybody else has counted out. It's completely different. It's completely upside down. But he says, you, who everybody else has counted out, can operate in God's economy without owning, without buying, without strings attached, without having earned what everybody else thinks you're supposed to earn in life. The kingdom of God is yours. And when people heard that, when poor people, people who experienced extreme poverty would have heard that, it would have been absolutely shocking. When people who had a lot heard that would have absolutely shocked them. What do you mean theirs is the kingdom of God? They don't really even have any kingdom. Verse 21, he continues. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. It's another huge uh, upside-down statement. Blessed are you of hungry, because you're going to be satisfied. Blessed that you weep now, because you will laugh. He doesn't say, by the way, blessed are you who are hungry just for the sake of it, because you should enjoy being hungry. Of course not. And none of us, on the day where we would go into our fridge, if we had that day, and we opened up the fridge and there was no food, would say, ah, today I am blessed. None of us on the day that you logged into your online banking accounts and you realized there's nothing there except negatives would say, I'm totally blessed. Do you know when we say that we're blessed? Many of us did it last weekend on Thanksgiving, didn't we? We sat down to a table full of food. And we said, this is how I know I'm blessed. Look at how much food we have. We have a huge feast. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's true. To, to be thankful for all the things that God has given us, that's wonderful. But you can see how it's completely flipped on its, on its side. For those of you who are hungry and don't have enough food, for those of you who are in pain, why? Because we like to be in pain and we like to be hungry? No, because there is a reversal coming. Do you see what is written in there? Why are you blessed? Because you're hungry now, but you will be satisfied. Your situation will be turned around because right now you weep, but that will not be permanent. That a reversal is coming and one day you will laugh. We don't sit in our pain and naturally say, wow, I'm blessed. But according to Jesus, we are, even in those moments. But these are the things of blessing. Not just money, comfort, or ease. These things are temporary. But also, so is your pain and so is your hunger and we trust that God will turn our fortunes around, that God, uh, it may not seem like right now he's showering us with good gifts, but we cannot assume the opposite, that if we don't have money or if uh, we, we aren't in pain, that that is blessings of God. Often we do experience these things, hunger or pain or struggle, and that's when we say, where is God? And that's what Jesus is doing, is reinforcing. Don't believe that. It might feel that way. While I'm in pain, while I'm hurting, while I don't have enough... God has left me. He says, no, God is actually with you. I know everybody would say the opposite, that you're blessed when you have it all. But why are you blessed? Because those things are temporary, but God's presence with you is not temporary. That the blessings, the benefits that come with the money and the comfort and all the rest of it, these are temporary things, but your fortunes will change. Blessed are you. You are blessed in God's presence. And a reversal is coming. You're on the bottom? That's what he's saying. You're on the bottom right now? Come up, lift up your head, be encouraged, know that God is with you. He's watching over your life. The time will come when you will laugh 
Your situation is not permanent. This is not your identity. You are not outside of God's blessing and provision. So hold on, hold on, hold on. You are blessed. Verse 22, he says, What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as uh, as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy or blessed. Yes, leave for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. There's a lot of emphasis here. There's uh, phrase upon phrase upon phrase so that you don't miss it. Do you, do you see kind of uh, saying something similar, but over and over when they hate you, exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil? Perhaps uh, if you've experienced any of those things, you understand how painful they can be to have people who are actively against you people who are willing bad things in your life, hoping that you'll fail, watching for you to lose, people who label you, put you down, make you feel terrible, people who will not accept you, people who ruin your reputation. These things cut to the core of who we are so often, especially when it's people we thought we were close to or people whose opinions really matter to us. And Jesus says, when this happens to you, actually rejoice and know that the, when these people do these kinds of things, their ancestors did them too, but to the prophets. That this is not new, that this has been going on forever. And that there are people who will come against other people and who will take them down a peg. And he refers to the prophets here. This is how they treated the prophets. Well, who are the prophets and what do they do? The prophets come to people and warn them. And the prophets come and say, oftentimes the biblical prophets would come and say, you need to look around and how you're treating other people. Specifically, the prophets over and over. How are you treating those who are oppressed, those who don't have enough, those who are marginalized? Are you caring for them? Are you showing up for them? Are you doing anything to lift the burden in their life? And Jesus said, when people are tearing you down in all these different ways, just know that those people are the same kind of people that when the prophets came and and told them to live a different way and to dare tear down this uh, oppression and this hurtful way of ordering things and this way of, this is what they did to the prophets. They run them out of town. Why why would people do that? Because if you're on the top, you don't like the person that comes and tells you to level the playing field. Because when you've got all the money, you don't want someone coming and saying, hey, you need to give all your money away to somebody who needs it. Because when you've got all the power, you don't want someone coming and saying, actually, you're not the person that should have any authority at all. You're not qualified. And so what do they do? They run those people out of town. They persecute them. They take down their reputation. They even killed them. Jesus says, rejoice, lift up your heads, because you're doing what's right, and do what's right rather than doing what's popular. When you're not doing what's popular, but you're doing what's right. See what he says? They curse you in evil because you follow the Son of Man. Jesus was very popular in some circles, but ultimately with the people who were in charge, so unpopular that they killed him. He says that's what people do when you start living the right way and you start turning over the hierarchies that are oppressive and that are evil in this world. People are going to come after you, but take heart. Rejoice. You are actually the blessed one. Do what's right rather than what doing what's popular. God's blessing is upon you. His kingdom is moving amongst you. There is a great reward in life coming for those who have this faith. The great reversal is coming. So for all of you who are down and out and hurting and insulted, your reputation is tanked, Jesus says on my behalf, lift up your head. I know it's easy to say, I'm cursed in life. Everything's going against me. He says, you're blessed. You're blessed. Let's do a little bit of a summary. He says, be blessed, you who are poor. You will have a great reward. You think you have nothing now, but you're blessed. You will have a great reward if you are poor. 
The greatest rewards are not financial, but God's blessing is upon you. Money is limited, but God's blessing is unlimited. Lift up your head. Be blessed, you, are, you who are hungry. Why? Because your position is temporary. Your longing and desire will be satisfied. Long for the best things in life. God loves to provide for his children, and you are his child. You may be hungry now. You may be in pain now, but that's temporary. Be blessed, you who hear hard things and are willing to hear hard things because you will grow and you will learn even if there's opposition. In fact, oftentimes in the oppositions. Many people won't listen to what's hard to hear. But doing what's right is better than doing what's popular. That's what's going to grow you. God is growing you in deep and meaningful ways. Lift up your head, you who are blessed. And then Jesus goes to the other side. And he gives some warnings. As he's told those who are low to come up, now he comes to those who are high, and he's going to tell them to come low. It's harder to hear. Verse 24. What sorrow awaits, or in some translations, woe. This is what the prophets would say. This is a warning of condemnation. This is a you better be very, very careful. This is some of the strongest language to get people's attention. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your, only your happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds. Your ancestors also praised the false prophets. And so now he turns. If you are rich and have everything you want, you've already received your reward. In other words... The reward for chasing riches is riches. The best you can do in chasing riches, and you might fail and you might not even get the reward of riches, but the best you can do if you're chasing riches is to get riches. And once you've got them, that's your reward. Don't expect anything more. There's a limitation on what riches can do for you. And so once you get them, just know, woe to you, take a warning, that's as much reward as riches are going to give you in and of themselves. Might seem great, but it's all you get. That what you always wanted was never enough. If your goal was to be rich, then you're at best. Money, not love, not acceptance, not security, not an identity, not really, not at the end of the day. You can argue about that if you want, but who, uh, who you, you are to, as being rich, when you get rich, you've already received it, you're comfortable, and that's all you can expect. Just like the previous section, he says, be careful if you're well-fed, and if you're happy, if you've got it all, if you're comfortable, because a reversal is coming. Because if you're putting your trust in things that are temporary, then your situation is temporary. The things that one day can pass away will one day pass away. And they might be great things, but they are temporary things. So watch out. And sorrow awaits you if you're praised by the crowds. If you're popular and you're around people that are telling you that you're doing everything right always, uh, just like the ancestors uh, who uh, ran out of town, the prophets, this is how the, your ancestors who praised the false prophets operated. They wanted to hear what they wanted to hear, 
And if someone could just validate their behavior and their way of life and their priorities, then everything was good. Itchy ears, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that my life is good. Tell me I don't have to change. Tell me I don't have to give my money away. Tell me I don't have to help people who are are in a worse place than me. Tell me I can enjoy everything that I want. And they would just soak it up. And to those people, there's a warning. So let's summarize the warnings that Jesus gives. Be warned, you who are rich, you'll have no more reward. As you seek money and power, they are their own reward. And you've got out of them all that you're going to ever get out of them. So beware of expecting from money anything more than money can actually provide. Beware, you who are well-fed, and laugh, because your position is temporary. If you're counting on a comfortable, easy life, and it might feel like that now, there's going to come a time where it's not so easy. You can't build a foundation on that kind of shallow life. Good times don't always laugh. Beware of thinking that that situation is going to last forever. And third, beware you who hear what you want to hear because you can't grow in ignorance. You can't grow in ignorance. That if you're never willing to hear hard things, if you're never willing to accept that you might have to change, then you're never going to change. You're not going to grow. You're not going to move forward. You're going to be stuck. Beware in the strongest terms Jesus could put out there. Beware. Because Jesus often told those in a high position to come down and those in a low position to come up. So how do we measure our lives? Are we willing to hear, even if we just read that last verse, the hard thing to hear, that if we're measuring our lives on that list of things, that it perhaps is never going to be enough, it's always going to be temporary, and we're never really going to grow? Are we willing to hear that there's actually blessing sometimes in the moments where we're uh, in pain? We don't have enough. In our longing for something greater to know that God will show up. In the willingness to hear hard things and to grow from them. How will we measure what a successful life is? Money, wealth, popularity, and comfort? Or is it something better? Here's what I think Jesus is teaching us. For Jesus, success is not measured by what you have or what you don't have, but by who you are and by what you give away. It can't be measured on what you have because it's temporary, it's fleeting, one day it could be gone. It also can't be uh, measured based on what you don't have. Oh, I'm poor. Oh, I'm without. Oh, I'm in pain because that's temporary too. But instead, measure your life by who you really are. And who are we really? We're God's children, created to be loved and to love other people. Created right from the the get-go of Scripture, in the image of God, to be a reflection of of God's uh, creative uh, way of, of, of bringing goodness into the world, to model his love and to love other people. What if we realize that real blessing isn't what we have or what we don't have, but instead it's found living out of our identity, not that we can find in what we earn, but simply in the identity that God has given us. And then to say, when I live there, everything else, I am now free. I am in God's kingdom. I'm part of what God is doing. His love can flow into me and through me into the world around me. Now I have the ability to say all these other things that I might have or not have, though they're temporary, I am free to use them for God's kingdom. And the best way that we can use those things in God's kingdom is to do what God does and to give those resources away. And when you read this, I get it, there's a million reasons why you would say this this doesn't really make sense. 
Again, especially when you're young and when you're told that you need to build your life. What do you need to build? You need to build on your education. You need to become, you know, you got letters behind your name. You need to become a certain title of job. You need to climb the ladder. You need to get so much money in the bank. You need to build a life, build a life, build a life. And actually, I would say there's a lot of truth to that. When we're young adults, we need to learn to, to build a certain platform in our life, a certain, uh, uh, you know, this is what I live out of. This is what I'm going to do with my life. It's not that that's a bad thing. In fact, you, you always have to do that. You just can't stop there. You just can't, can't, can't believe that this is what life is all about. Or, or keep trying to climb those ladders and, and just build off that foundation. Eventually, we build that foundation, and then we realize all of this is to give away. If I've got some money to find people who don't have enough and to give it away. If I've got some influence to use that influence to take people who don't have a voice and give them a voice. And if you say, well, that just, I don't know, because I think I need a little bit more and I need to build this and I should be doing that. Again, the hardest things to get our heads around, it's not because they're bad things, it's because they're good things that we put in the wrong priority. But we have to stop at this point and realize that this wasn't just what Jesus taught, it's what Jesus lived. See, the life of Jesus, he didn't just say this and then kind of go, you guys figure it out. This is the way of the cross, this is the way of Jesus coming and saying, you know, I'm going to do what's right for the kingdom of God and I'm going to, I'm going to leverage any popularity I have and any resources that comes into my, my orbit for those who are in need and I'm going to live them up and I'm going to live out of my identity that these things don't, aren't who I am. They're not, they don't make up that identity in me, but instead that I am God's beloved son, that he's, he's so pleased with me. That's what he heard at his, his baptism. And then to say, I'm going to give all of this away. And his greatest glory is found, greatest blessing is found in what everybody would have said, it's the greatest curse. On the cross, when everyone would have looked and said, God has abandoned you, you've completely failed, there is no blessing there, and yet the way of the cross is Jesus' way of emptying his life in love, laying it down for the ones that he would love. And that is the kind of life that God raises up. It's the kind of life that in a very strange and hard to understand way, we aspire to. So let me ask you this question as we think about uh, what it is that makes us successful in life. Uh, I was continuing to read that, that book I referred to earlier from Arthur Brooks called Strength to Strength, and he's talking about kind of the second half of life and trying to get some of this wisdom and figuring it out in your life. And he says, uh, especially for people, Western people, many of us who have grown up in the Western world, we see that our life, uh, he uses an art example, our life is a little bit like a blank canvas. That's how we see it. And so somebody comes to you and says, well, what do you want for your life? What's success? And, and how do you want to build your life? And we go, great, my life is a, a blank canvas. And so uh, this is what I want to do for work. And here's my career. And here's the amount of money I need. And here's what I, and whatever you come up with that is your measure of success. And we build a life. We start painting a picture off of a blank canvas, whatever we want to do. And he says, such a Western way of thinking. If you ask somebody in the Eastern world uh, about doing art and what that looks like, oftentimes they'll start the other way. They'll think of someone, perhaps, who sculpts a sculpture. Michelangelo, who uh, famously uh, sculpted uh, the sculpture David, that real famous sculpture, it took him a couple of years. Uh, he was commissioned to do it. And this is what he said. He said the sculpture, this is how he, he sees taking a, you know, a big block of his raw material and making a sculpture. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. 
It's not that I have to build, 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 build so that something is there. It's that something is already there. I just have to take away all the unnecessary parts so that you can see what's already there. What if that was true with our lives? What if we looked at it differently? Instead of I got to build up and go up, 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 we say, actually, wow, Jesus is calling me to come down and to chisel away all the things in my life that might be competing with that true version of who I am and there to live in it. So what do you need, perhaps, to eliminate that which competes with you becoming truly successful? That is, for you to become the person that you truly are, without big achievements, without big titles, without tons of money, to chip away things, to give away of yourself and of your resources, so that what is found there is essentially who you are, a child of God, that you don't measure yourself by what you have or don't have, but by who you are, and therefore what you are free to give away, to just be you. It is perhaps why many of us in our culture um, work. We work and work and work and work and work to the detriment of our family and our marriages and our kids and our, our friendships and our relationships because we feel like we need more and more and more. And what if you needed to chisel away some of those hours to simply be who God has called you to be? We do the same thing sometimes with our children. Our children need to be geniuses and, and, and athletic um, prospects and musical and theater prodigies. And we've got to do something every night of the week so they never miss an experience and they can become all of these good things. And maybe what we're teaching them is you need more and more and more and more and more for people to be impressed. And all these achievements so you can prove to people that you're something. But maybe what we're teaching them is how to objectify themselves. Instead of saying maybe in this season we need to chip some things away to be together and to love each other and to do what's most important together. Maybe life isn't about building up to success with money, popularity, titles, and applause, but chiseling away anything that competes with the person that we are created in God's image, loved and equipped in order to give our lives away. Let's pray to that end. Let's pray to perhaps uh, aspire to what a real life is in God's kingdom, a life following Jesus, even following him to the cross of self-denial, and ultimately to real glory the glory of God. And so our Heavenly Father, uh, we take this challenging, challenging teaching of Jesus, and yet, uh, God, I believe for many of us, it finds a way into our heart because we know that uh, other ways of measuring success simply uh, haven't worked for us, not ultimately. Today, would you give us courage to eliminate things that perhaps are just distracting us from being the people you've called us to be, Would you help to free up the resources in our lives, whether that's uh, our influence, whether it's our our finances or our stuff, whatever it is, God, that we might be holding on to that we think is us, is our identity, would you help us to give it up and instead to trust you and then to give our lives away? I thank you, God, that Jesus shows us what it looks like, that he has given us the great gift of himself, that he gave us himself. He showed us what it looks like to live in that profound kind of love. God, help that love to take a deep root in our lives such that we would live it out and to depend on you for our identity, who we are, and all that we can give away in Jesus' name.